Welcome to Tax Time, our monthly podcast covering the main tax developments in Ireland. My name is David Moore, Tax Associate Director with Grant Thornton. Today we'll be discussing the latest in tax, including an extension to the 9% VAT rate for the tourism and hospitality sector, the tax treatment of the pandemic special recognition payment, measures to remove barriers to the rent of room relief, updates to revenues quarter packs for compliance interventions, and much more. On the 10th of May, Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue TD, announced the extension to the 9% VAT rate for the tourism and hospitality sector for a further six months, which will see the rate extended to the 28th of February 2023. This extension will cover the same goods and services as the original measure, restaurant supplies, tourist accommodation, cinemas, theatres, museums, historic houses, open farms, amusement parks and hairdressing, as well as certain printed matters such as brochures, leaflets, programmes and catalogues. Minister Dunhu noted the tourism and hospitality sector was one of those most impacted by public health restrictions put in place throughout the pandemic. Through no fault of their own, bars, hotels and restaurants had to close in multiple locations to help the country make its way through the worst public health crisis. The 9% VAT rate was introduced in response to the challenges posed by COVID-19 to support the hospitality sector and today the government has decided to extend a period when the 9% VAT rate will apply for a further six months. This will provide further support to the tourism and hospitality sectors over the busy November-December period and into the early new year. It is estimated that the extension of the 9% VAT rate will have a cost of €250 million Euros to the Exchequer. Revenue released in eBrief on the 17th of May outlined the tax treatment of the pandemic special recognition payment to be made to frontline healthcare workers. The government have committed that any payment under the pandemic special recognition payment scheme is exempt from income tax, USC and PRSI. Payments up to a maximum of €1,000 per individual will be exempt, and the exemption only applies to payments made under the scheme. Revenue also noted in the rebrief that frontline healthcare workers, including agency staff working for the HSC, must have been employed between the 1st of March 2020 and the 30th of June 2021, and have been identified as working in COVID-19 exposed healthcare environments. For part-time eligible workers, the payment will be prorated. Employees who work less than four weeks in the specified period do not qualify. Others eligible for the payment will include staff in the private sector nursing homes and hospices that were affected by COVID-19, and staff working on-site in long-term residential care facilities for people with disabilities, including where such facilities are operated by the Section 39 voluntary organisations. Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys announced on the 19th of May a series of measures designed to remove barriers facing social welfare customers who choose to accommodate people in their homes. This new measure will allow social welfare recipients to receive up to €14,000 per annum, free from income tax where the accommodation is offered. The measure is in line with the rent of room relief under Section 216A of the Taxes Consolidation Act 1997. In practice, this means that a social welfare customer will be able to rent out a room in their home for up to €14,000 per annum and will not see their means-tested social welfare payment impacted, including the flu allowance or the household benefits package. Mr. Humphreys also announced that this measure would be extended to those receiving the living alone allowance, noting that where a person living alone rents a room in their home, their living alone allowance will not be impacted. Announcing these measures, Minister Humphreys said, For many months now, my officials and I have been working on proposals to remove barriers facing people in receipt of a social welfare payment who wish to provide accommodation in their home. There is no doubt that the war in Ukraine has brought a new urgency to, to this situation. Therefore, I was really pleased to secure a unanimous support in Cabinet for these changes, which I believe will form an important part of the government's overall effort in responding to the Ukraine crisis. But these measures also reflect our overriding desire to ensure rooms that are available in homes across the country are freed up for potential tenants. Where there are barriers or anomalies in place, it is up to us to remove them. On the 11th of May, Revenue announced the publication of its annual report for 2021. 
The report reflects an exceptional year for revenue against the backdrop of a fundamentally changed trading environment between Ireland and Great Britain, and the continued significant economic and social disruptions associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Revenue collected a record amount of tax and duty in 2021. Revenue also put all the necessary measures in place to effectively administer the changes to the local property tax for the new valuation period, which began on the 1st of November last, and continue to play a significant role in the delivery of key government supports to businesses as part of the national response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Alongside the 2021 annual report, Revenue also published a number of other, other reports, including research reports on corporation tax, income tax, VAT and VRT. Summaries of the 2021 National Random Sampling Programme for marked mineral oil products and the results of the Tobacco Products Research Survey 2021. Revenue in the report noted total grossal receipts of €96.6 billion, euros, of which €26.7 billion euros related to income tax, €15.4 billion euros related to VAT and €15.3 billion euros related to corporation tax. It is noteworthy that corporation tax receipts continue to grow year on year from 10.9 billion euros in 2019 and 11.8 billion euros in 2020. The report also highlights that the multinational sector accounted for 12.3 billion euros in the corporation tax, 32% of employment and 53% of employment taxes. The report also confirms that 4.6 billion euros was claimed by employers with respect to the employment wage subsidy scheme and that 2.9 billion euros of tax debt was warehoused. It is also noted that there were 463,814 revenue interventions, which yielded approximately 1.4 billion euros in taxes, interest and penalties, with revenue noting that this is the biggest annual compliance yield recorded to date. As noted on last month's podcast, revenue's new code of practice for compliance interventions came into effect on the 1st of May. The revised code outlines revenue's approach to compliance interventions and essentially categorises their interventions into three levels. The most notable update is the introduction of risk reviews, which are on all floors similar to a revenue audit. However, it focuses on a specific issue identified by revenue. Practitioners are recommended that a close eye be kept on any compliance intervention letter received from revenue to first identify the level of the intervention, as this may affect any tax mitigation options available, and also the date of the letter to ensure that taxpayers have sufficient time to prepare for the intervention and or request an extension to prepare a qualifying disclosure. On the 27th of April, Revenue released an e-brief outlining changes made to their tax and duty manual surrounding the taxation of crypto asset transactions. The manual has been updated to provide clarity on the tax treatment of transactions involving crypto assets, including through the provision of worked examples. I am joined now by my colleague Ken O'Connell, tax manager with our financial services tax team. Hi Ken, thank you for joining me today to discuss your tax insights into the aircraft leasing sector and how the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine have impacted the industry. Ken, Ireland has become an international hub for aircraft leasing over the years, with some of the largest players in the industry headquartered here. Why is, why is Ireland such an attractive location for lessors and how did this come about? Thanks, David, and thanks a million for having me on today. Yes, indeed, Ireland is, is well known throughout the aviation world as one of the main hubs for aviation leasing. The success story, I guess, goes back to the days of Guinness Pete Aviation GPA, and Ireland has essentially then developed over the decades to become the global centre of excellence for aviation leasing, with all the major lessors now having a presence in Ireland and over 60% of the world's fleet of leased assets managed through Irish companies. One of the main purposes of the leasing industry, David, is of course the provision of flexibility to airlines regarding their financing and range of fleets. It allows new airlines to enter the market, as well as allowing existing airlines to invest in future fleets. 
The reasons behind Ireland's success in the industry are numerous. However, tax is at the centre of this. There's the obvious 12.5% tax rate for trading profits in Ireland. There's the availability of tax depreciation, which is your capital allowances on aircraft assets where a company can claim a tax deduction on the assets over a period of eight years. And then, of course, as well, there's the availability to carry forward trade losses indefinitely to set against future profits of a company. This is in addition, of course, to access to Ireland's extensive double tax treaty network, tax treaties that were negotiated with aircraft leasing in mind, and treaties which in their majority give a favourable result for lessors involved in the industry. Furthermore, Ireland has an extremely skilled workforce who work in the area of aviation finance, roles which specialise in accounting and tax, in law, as well as other technical roles which support the industry. And this strong workforce stems not only from the talent pool, which is already there, for instance, like a lot of veterans who even presently work in the industry, worked for companies such as GPA back in the day and have progressed through other companies through the intervening years. And then this talent pool is backed up by the fact that many leading universities and other institutes in Ireland now provide specialised courses with respect to aviation leasing. In addition, Ireland is also well placed geographically to deal with jurisdictions worldwide. Um, for instance, as advisors, we can jump on calls with US clients in their morning time and Eastern clients in their evening time. So again, a very simple thing, but a very practical thing that works from an Irish perspective. We also have access to the European market. And also another very important element is the fact that the Irish government realised the importance of the leasing industry to Ireland and they've continued to support the um, industry throughout the years. That's very interesting, Ken, um, particularly on the amount of the world's um, fleet of leased assets that are managed through Irish companies, 6% is, is, is quite a huge number and, and, and it's great for, for the industry here in Ireland. And particularly when you said there on the courses offered by universities around aviation finance and aviation maintenance, it, it just seems that those courses are, are growing every year, which, which is great to see. And it's obviously trying to feed that expert workforce that, as you mentioned there. So it really is great to see and, and, and an industry that's very important to the Irish economy. Ken, the last number of years have been difficult for the aviation industry in general. There are some recent signs, however, which would highlight that the industry is beginning to emerge again from the depths of the pandemic. Indeed, David, um, the last 26 months, I guess it's been now at this stage, and the devastation that COVID-19 has had on the aviation industry is, is well documented. But with the intention of being optimistic about the future, although it is difficult to put aside the impact of the pandemic for the industry, there are certainly signs that the industry is beginning to bounce back from probably one of the most difficult periods it's ever been through. I think this illustrates the resilience of the industry and the continued success and continued confidence that investors have, particularly in the leasing industry. For any of us who've been abroad recently, I think it is quite evident that many are beginning to travel again. The recent announcement by EASA and the ECDC around dropping the recommendation for the mandatory wearing of face masks on aircraft must be taken as a positive move and hopefully provides further optimism as we all enter into the summer season when we're 
heading off on our summer holidays again and welcoming the familiar tourists back. Again, I'm from Killarney myself, and I've seen over the last number of weekends that there's certainly an increased number of Americans in particular back um, in our country, so it's fantastic to see. The war in Ukraine, of course, has provided difficulties for the industry, David, and many will have seen reported in the press in recent weeks that certain lessors were attempting to repossess their aircraft that were on the ground in Russia. It's possible that some of these aircraft may not be successfully repossessed. And what is also concerning is that even in the instance where aircraft are successfully repossessed with the intention of putting them back on lease with European airlines, for instance, there are going to be regulatory issues there in relation to those aircraft not having the appropriate records in place, such as airworthiness, such as maintenance records pertaining to the aircraft's time in Russia. But there's a lot of moving parts with respect to the repossession of these affected aircraft. It was reported in the media there last week, for instance, that Aircap has filed insurance claims to seek to recover lost aircraft. So it'll be interesting to monitor this situation over the coming months and, and indeed monitor the associated outcomes. I think, David, although we're seeing a confident and measured recovery of the industry in general, Recent world trends again remind us um, of the sensitivity of the industry with respect to global events, to global trends. With regards to global trends, I'm referring to the levels of inflation we're seeing at the moment and people's disposable income, which obviously has a direct relationship with this recovery. There is certainly a pent up demand out there. Um, people haven't been able to travel for the last couple of years and many families have essentially saved up and want to get away again and you and you literally can't blame them. So there may be a resurgence that is short term in nature, but it'll be interesting to see how this pans out over the next 12 to 18 months when inflation is still an issue, where fuel prices are still an issue, which of course will in turn lead most likely to um, an increase in cost for flying for consumers. But even after all of these challenges, and I know I've, I've mentioned quite a few challenges there, I think due to the resilience of the industry, the ability of lessors and airlines to adapt to such trends, I think we're going to see continued optimism around the industry's continued success into the future. A lot of food for thought there, Ken. Um, like I remember back when the war in Ukraine had commenced and a lot of aircraft were stationed in Russia and there was a big scramble to get the planes home. And then, as you just said there recently, the news that there's a lot of issues around whether when they get turned their planes to Ireland, whether they actually will be airworthy and the huge costs associated with bringing all the maintenance records up to place because they may not have the maintenance records while they were stationed in Russia. So I think you're very, very correct there in saying that it's been a very resilient industry and hopefully now, as you said, with kind of restrictions being lifted on mandatory mask wearing and getting the US tourists back to Ireland um, to help help our tourism sector, it, it'd be very much welcome. Yeah. And why do you think there has been such a strong rebound of the industry? From an airline perspective, David, I suppose, you know, the, the clearest reason um, for this is the successful rollout of vaccines worldwide and the emergence from the pandemic in many jurisdictions. As soon as governments began lifting restrictions, the, gov or the, the public have regained a lot of confidence again and essentially want to travel. Some people may have heard the uh, CFO of Ryanair on the radio there in recent weeks 
They've seen some very strong bookings in recent weeks for the summer period ahead. Um, they hope to grow FY23 traffic to 165 million passengers, which is up from 97 million in FY22 and up from 149 million passengers pre-COVID. So again, a very strong indication that things are improving. From a leasing perspective, it's quite clear that the major players in the leasing industry have managed to navigate the pandemic rather successfully. The major lessors in the market have been able to manage assets both from a financial and geographical point of view and have provided structured solutions to their clients to effectively ensure that the cash remained flowing. At the very basic of these solutions, lessors provided options in relation to rent deferrals and opted for power by our contracts in the instance where it would have most likely been costlier to repossess aircraft from defaulting lessees. In terms of financing, David, we've seen that the main players in the leasing market have been very successful in raising funds from the capital markets. And this in turn obviously then has allowed these market leaders to support their lessee customers. ABS deals came to a complete halt um, at the beginning of 2020 once the pandemic hit. But then throughout 2021, we saw the ABS market rebounding with a number of deals that were executed. And this essentially, you know, is related, I believe, to the fact that investors in the industry are looking long term and concluded even during the depths of the pandemic that aviation was still going to provide a long and strong return into the future. Yeah, and it's quite optimistic that revenue are even seeing growth beyond their pre-COVID levels, which, which mm. is great to see. And, and you'd hope that it's kind of the same across the entire industry. And another key point there that you mentioned is the flexibility of, of aircraft lessors in terms to make deals with their lessees to try to see them through the bad times, knowing that at the flip side, then that they will return to the way it was before and maybe build up loyalty as well. So, so that's mm. very interesting. And I suppose, Ken, coming out of the pandemic, what type of issues are clients currently coming across? The pandemic has led to many issues for our clients, David. Um, over the last number of months, we've received quite a lot of queries from clients, but in particular, a lot of nuanced queries, queries that we haven't necessarily seen before. Um, queries from lessors, for instance, where they've had issues with their customers. In the instances of where, for example, lessees who have had liquidity problems, there has been instances whereby consignment agreements have been entered into, essentially where an intermediary is engaged to disassemble an aircraft, then the aircraft parts are subsequently sold off. And then the utilisation of the funds received for those parts by a particular company. What's the you know, what, what are the tax implications of, of receiving that money and perhaps repaying outstanding debt that's in place with respect to um, the initial acquisition of an aircraft. There have been queries around situations where lessors have traditionally had finance leases in places and then due to internal restructuring, such leases have been terminated. So it's been necessary to analyze the tax consequences of such terminations, as well as advising then on the appropriate treatment of new lease arrangements, as well as the correct accounting treatment. Um, 
then we've also seen, you know, I mentioned earlier on, we, um, you know, the strong lessors in the market. We've definitely seen a resurgence of of transactions. Um, so anything from negotiating and and the entering of new lease agreements to to transferring aircraft in various jurisdictions. So we've seen a myriad of different issues presenting, David, um, as we step into the post-COVID era. But again, you know, it's like everything else with the with the accurate analysis, the appropriate treatment. Clients can make the necessary arrangements with respect to the appropriate action required. Yeah, and I, I suppose, Ken, from speaking to you and some of your colleagues, a, a query that keeps on popping its head is the termination and mm. kind of agreement of new leases of determination and subsequent sale of the asset or, or kind of um, divestiture of certain um, air, aircraft parts. And it's it's it can be very important to get the accounting treatment right because the tax will naturally follow. Um, and it is something that I suppose that it is becoming more pertinent in, in, in the marketplace and industry. As we move forward post COVID, what are the main considerations for lessors? I think post COVID there is going to be various issues to deal with. These stem from regulatory issues to international tax issues and from environmental and sustainability issues to other global challenges. One area where we have seen significant attention recently is environmental, social and governance, ESG. ESG considerations are becoming an ever increasingly important aspect for global business as a whole, David, as you know, but indeed aviation is, is no different. Stakeholders in general and investors in the industry are asking more questions as regards the sustainability effectively of their investments. It's true, however, that aviation is taking a lead in relation to ESG. There have been many publications issued over the last couple of years, I think, which demonstrates the industry's ambitions in relation to decarbonisation over the coming decades. ESG is forefront in the minds of our clients, and we continue to discuss these issues with our clients to ensure that they're up to speed with the most recent narrative and the trends in the space. For example, of great interest here at the moment is the use of sustainable aviation fuel and the ever-evolving use of technology and aircraft design. But it is clear, however, you know, that it's going to take at least another decade before any considerable strides are made with respect to technological advances, which will lead to serious mitigation of environmental damaging outputs from the industry. From an international tax perspective, there have been numerous developments over the last 12 months, which have again provided further challenges for our clients. Such developments have pertained to, for example, the introduction of the EU anti-tax avoidance directives, which provide for the implementation by the EU of a number of the OECD BEPS action plans. Furthermore, there was the introduction of the interest limitation rules, which affect accounting periods beginning on or after the 1st of January 2022. So clients are currently getting to grips with this, whether they're in scope of it, and then if they're in scope, what are the associated implications? Regarding transfer pricing, the first recent change for lessors in Ireland that most taxpayers are aware of by now is the statutory requirement to prepare and maintain transfer pricing documentation. So here we're talking about your local file and your master file, which is subject to global revenue thresholds. So that's 50 million euro for a local file and 250 million euro for a master file. 
A local file is entity specific, it's Irish specific, it provides granular information in relation to the functions, assets and risks of the Irish entity, the transaction it's party to, and benchmarking studies to support the pricing. A master file then, on the other hand, is prepared at group level. It provides a summary of the group, key value drivers and TP policies. Transfer pricing documentation then must be in place by the time the tax return is filed in Ireland and taxpayers must indicate on the tax return if they are in scope for the TP documentation rules. The second change with respect to transfer pricing is the requirement to undertake a debt capacity analysis when an Irish borrower borrows funds from another group company. A debt capacity analysis essentially seeks to ensure that a borrower does not have excessive debt relative to its borrowing capacity. Quite interestingly as well, Revenue have confirmed that not only does the debt capacity requirement apply to new rules or to new loans, but also to legacy loans that are still in existence. With respect to revenue interaction, David, I listened with interest there to one of your last podcasts on the shakeup regarding the new code of practice for revenue compliance intervention, which was implemented on the 1st of May of this year. We and our clients will need to be cognizant, for instance, where, for example, asset queries are received with respect to a certain perceived risk that revenue have identified. Um, as you mentioned on the podcast, under the, under the new regime, the ASPIC query list has moved into level two. Um, and then you're in a situation where you need to respond to revenue within 28 days and make a prompted qualifying disclosure as opposed to an unprompted disclosure, which again shifts the further responsibility over on the taxpayer to identify other risks pertaining to a specific period. So another challenge, David, that I believe lessors are going to see going into the future. Yeah, there's there's most definitely a lot, a lot there, Ken, and I suppose international tax reform has been involved at a quite a rapid rate. So as you mentioned, the ATAD 1 and ATAD 2, which looked at interest limitation rules and anti-hybrid mismatches, have kind of been transposed into Irish legislation, and now it's become a key consideration for a lot of kind of uh, heavily financed groups, um, such as aircraft lessers and, and lessees. And then obviously then there's new proposals down the line in terms of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2, and also ATAD 3, which looks at EU shell companies. So there's definitely a lot in the international tax space for lessers to consider. And then, as you said, then on the domestic front, we haven't been quiet either. So we, revenue have changed our quota practice, as you mentioned. So it's definitely becoming more important to have your tax policies and um, governance in place to ensure you mitigate any risk. Thanks, Ken, for your tax insight into the aircraft leasing sector. That is it for today. Tune into our Tax Time podcast next month, where we'll be discussing the latest tax issues that may affect your business. If you need more in the meantime, visit our website, where you'll find many fact sheets and insights into the topics we discussed today. Thanks for listening.